Tiger's Dave Woloshin. Come today to kick off. We'll talk Super Bowl with Jeff Moore. That comes your way bottom of the hour. Speaking of football, hail to Silverfield and Hennigan. More on that in just a second. And you knew it was just a matter of time. Student athletes might just about be on the brink of becoming student employees. Yesterday, a National Labor Relations Board regional manager ruled Dartmouth players can become employees. We'll talk with Mike DeCourcy, our Hall of Famer from the Sporting News, about that and all things basketball and NIL and how the Tennessee and the Virginia lawsuits on... um, Basically, on the Sherman Antitrust Act, how all of that will play into what is happening in all of collegiate sports. Crazy stuff. Just a matter of time, in my mind, before unions and um, they will no longer be student athletes. They will be employees of universities. Um, So... Yesterday, Ryan Silverfield was named Coach of the Year by the Tennessee Sports Writers Association. Seth Hennigan, Player of the Year. That's the first time a Tiger has been named by the Tennessee Sports Writers as the Player of the Year since Brady White did it four years ago. And good for Brady White, by the way, if you haven't heard. He's now on the staff at Arizona State, a full-fledged coach, so he's on his way In the coaching ranks, which I guess that means he has retired as a player from what is now the UFL. Uh, Also, a little bit later today, last segment, we will talk with Lynn Alford, who is the guy that really runs the Memphis Amateur Sports Hall of Fame. They've got a class of 12 they will induct on March the 18th. We'll tell you all about that. That comes a little bit later. The Grizz... We'll take on the New York Knicks tonight, 6.30. Now, the Knicks have been a much-improved team. Tom Thibodeau's group playing quite well. Had a winning streak for a while there, just snapped recently. But it's hard to believe. The Knicks are 14-and-a-half-point favorites in that game. 14-and-a-half-point favorites. But when you're playing the hustle... You can understand, especially at home in Madison Square Garden. That game is at 6.30. Trade deadline two days away. What will the what will the Grizz do about the center position? That is the big question. So the two targets, according to most media reports, that you could see an exit of Tillman, um... They appear to be the Bulls, Andre Drummond, Charlotte's Nick Richards. Of course, you could just play, and Taylor Jenkins has alluded to this, you could just play 
Jaron Jackson Jr., Triple J, as a five. How effective he would be as a five? Would he be better? I think he's better as a four. I think everybody would think he's better as a four. I think you need a five. You could play small ball. You can do that anyway, even if you get your center. Start that way and play him some minutes at the five. I get that. And then the question would be also, how quickly will Brandon Clark be back? We'll ask that question to his agent who's with us every Friday. That is Andy Schiffman. Um, But time is ticking away. You never know when these trades might actually occur. Absolutely never quite know. So something could happen. Could happen while we're on the show because, again, Thursday, today's Tuesday, the 8th is the deadline to make your Trades, and we'll see what the Grizzlies uh, are going to do. It'll be fun to watch to see who's going to start for the Grizzlies tonight. If they are down to just the eight that they played the other night in Boston when they got blown out by 40. Whew. Um, it is interesting to me what's going on with college basketball. I am intrigued by what the thoughts of Mike DeCourcy will be about what occurred yesterday in the Northeast. So I, I mentioned there, there's a regional manager of the NLRB, and the determination was, in his mind, players are employees. In other words, because of that, and keep in mind, in the Ivy League, which, which Dartmouth is a member, in the Ivy League there are no scholarships. So these players really, in essence, get nothing, right? And uh, they had talked about unionizing before. There was, remember, a suit years ago by Northwestern. It failed uh, as those guys tried to form a union. Part of that was that it was just a football team that was interested. The other sports at Northwestern did not have that same thing. This would be unilaterally across the board. I, I'm I'm not certain when that vote may be. It's in a few weeks, but apparently there has been this discussion for a while. They think it will pass. And if so, then the union can meet with the university. And there's already other unions that are on that campus for other employees, which could be um, the, the, the janitorial services. But there are other factions of that on campus, and I think one of those is the one that would be the union. They would then meet with the, the president, the athletic director, I guess the coach, and they would then figure out how much money you're going to pay, how much time you can spend in practice, how you're going to travel. All of these details will be ironed out by the union. Wow. We're talking basically pro sports at the Ivy League level. So we'll keep an eye on this. And in just a few minutes, we are going to talk with our friend Mike DeCourcy about just that. In the meantime, I'll let you know we're sitting in the Family Leisure Studios. Yes, indeed, the floor model sale is still happening. Wicker sofas are under $2,000. If you get them and they're on the premises, two grand or really under it. Wow. Go see what I'm talking about, too, because the building is beautiful. Same thing for pool tables. They're under $1,500. Theater seating, under two grand. A four-person hot tub. 
You know, you can have a lot of fun in that, or you can just stretch out on your own. Five grand, under five grand. The infrared or the traditional steam saunas, they're 25% off. Get ready for summer and purchase the above ground pool now. You will be the first in line for installation. All you got to do is get to I 40 and Widden Road. It's happening right there where family and fun come together. The floor model sale is going on at Family Leisure. So let's head to Indianapolis. Our friend Mike DeCourcy joins us now. I've just sort of laid out, Mike, the scenario of what happened with the National Labor Relations Board regional uh, manager in the Northeast. Dartmouth players cleared now to have a vote to form a union which might change sports. We go from student-athlete to employees. Give me your take on what you believe happened yesterday and what you think might be the ramifications of it. Good morning. Well, good morning, Dave. I think, first of all, it's the most preposterous thing I've ever seen. Uh, it, like, like, if the Alabama players had had, uh, football players had had a, a, a deal like this where they wanted to form a union and had gone to the NLRB and all that, I mean, there's a logic to it, right? Because the SEC uh, pays, will pay at some point in the near future, Alabama $60 million uh, out of the television rights, something like that a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, and they sell 100,000 tickets every, every, or seven, six or seven fall Fridays, or fall Saturdays, excuse me. So there's a logic to it. You know how many fans Dartmouth basketball averages per game at home? 1,200. You know, that's the, I, I, I did a show earlier, and, and that's the exact number that was offered to me, and it's not even that. Huh. It's 600, I believe the number is 693. Wow. Dave, when I went to see Lorenzen Wright play basketball uh, in, for uh, Booker T. Washington, um, there were never only 693 people no. in the crowd. No, there were 1,200. Uh, no, sad. when I went to see Dorian Davis, there were never 693 people. Uh, that, 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 that's that's what's so ridiculous about this. And again, like not only does nobody go to the games, but have you ever seen an Ivy League regular season game on television in basketball ever? Like, uh, I don't. Maybe sure. I've seen them in tournaments like Yale. I've okay. seen them in the in the Rainbow Classic. Yeah, but no, I mean like an Ivy League game. I mean like the the rights that you control. Uh, I, like Yale versus Dartmouth, uh, you know what? versus Harvard. They used to have, and it might have been a pay-per-view thing because I did it. They used to have a football game of the week. I like, I did. Uh, I think it was Columbia and Princeton years ago. So yeah, that was football, but I not, nothing for basketball. Honestly. It just doesn't exist. This is a this is a ridiculous thing. And honestly, you know, the thing I don't like about it is that the, they. Wherever that line is, Dartmouth's on the other side of it. Uh, it's so it, so that's ridiculous. And I don't know where that line is. The Alabama players, if they want to be, they can be on the side of employees because it's obvious that they're, they're it's very much a commercial enterprise. But the Dartmouth players, my my nephew, uh, who is defensive coordinator at Ferrum College and played at Ferrum College, that they did. They're D three. I mean, they're not getting big crowds or getting big TV money, and neither is Dartmouth. So I, I don't think that this was based on anything that had to do with Dartmouth, which bothers me. Uh, I, I think if you're, if you're, you should be judging the case in front of you, and I don't think they did. Um, but what the ramifications are, my position has always been 
since we got this name, image, and likeness situation, this is the sweet spot for the athlete right here, where they're getting paid. They have a lot of freedom to, to move if they don't like things as they are or if they think they can make things better at the next spot. When they become employees, a lot of fun goes out the window, Dave. Like, I love what I do for a living, but I am, but I am very much responsible for, you know, for, for being a, a professional adult uh, for, to, to three different companies. I, and and, and that, that's a different life. When I was in college, didn't have so much responsibility. WPPJ, if I failed to show up for an airship, uh, on my college radio station, and I never did. But if I did, they could get by without me. But if I failed to do, if I failed to show up on for Big Ten basketball and beyond, that's a problem. It, it's, it's a totally different deal when you're an employee, and I don't think that athletes should be in as big a hurry as as the activists who uh, who think they can make money off it are telling them they should be. Um. In the case of Dartmouth, they don't get anything because there's no scholarships. Right. I, I don't know if that's the impetus. The thing, like I thought we were going to get to this at some point. I didn't know if it would be this early. But um, this, this, and, and I don't know if this is the, 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 the case for uh, Dartmouth or the guy that might be prodding them who's also been involved. His name is HSU, Michael Sue. I don't, I'm not even sure how you pronounce it. But... With representation for all these athletes with NIL, to me, as soon as I saw this was happening, they're going to want more and more, correct? And you've just stated 60 million TV money, 100,000 people in the stands. That labor is going to want a percentage of that, or let's put it this way. They're going to want more and more and more, and they can't keep going back to their customers for donation. So they're going to have well, it, to give it, up some of you. some of the revenue share that they've been building buildings and paying coaches with. Some of that's got to go to labor. That's that's to me where all this is headed, and this is well, just the first case of it. Yeah, I mean, if it heads that way, absolutely. But what ha- happens is, like, then all of a sudden you've got a contract, and you can't say, "Hey, I want more money," um, or "I'll go there," because you have a contract and you have to honor the contract. Whereas now, if you're at, let's say, you're the uh, the Point guard at uh, State Tech, okay, and mm-hmm. you're making I don't know two hundred thousand in in uh, in uh, NIL. N- NIL, and and let's say you go out and you lead your league in assists, and and you get the team to the Sweet Sixteen, and so now you think, hey, I'm worth more than two hundred, and maybe you have a case, and so you go to your school and say, I'm worth more than two hundred, and if they say no, you're not, you say, well, guess what, I can go in the transfer portal and I can get way more than two hundred, so buy. They won't be able to do that in in uh, the near future, presumably. Well, be, that would depend on how long they made. That would depend on how long their contract is, right? Well, I mean, but, that's I mean, the whole I, thing. I would imagine. I, I would imagine these contracts. No one's going to sign anybody. No one's going to complain for five years about the transfer portal and then sign people to one year contracts. I mean, they're not. They're not going to do that unless they unless it's somebody that they are just bringing in for for squad depth or something like that. But the real the real star players. Uh, they're going to have multi-year contracts, so they're going to have limitations that they don't now. Um, hmm. Well, I I got to see that right. 
because that's not the way it's set up at the moment. At the moment, it's free agency every year. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're an agent that you're you're willing to give that up, and it's all going to be union vote and then negotiation, right? Well, I mean, yeah. Are, there's would. no would, real but... rules set up yet at this point. No, but that's this is what I'm talking about. If you're like if you're if you're trying to get the schools to make this an employer employee relationship, well, the schools have a lot of the power, and and. I mean, as as is the case in most employer employee relationships, um, the, they they have a lot of the power, and so they're not going to sit there and say, "Well, okay, after this, after going through this heck of having players leave every year, well, now if you're employees, well, let's just do that again." They're not going to do that. Uh, like I said, for the for the quarterback who comes in, it's going to be multi year. Now, whether they go for the full four years. Or whether they go for a couple of years as a prove it kind of thing, that may be dependent. Like Arch Manning is going to get offered four years. Like that's going to happen. He's going to get offered as many years as he wants. When he's with, a a, with a clause to leave or an option to leave to the NFL, right? I mean, that, that right. would still be uh, yeah, written that, in yeah, after absolutely. three. Absolutely, after three. Yeah, but in, in his case, of course. Uh, He'd only played. He would only have played two if that's the well, case. But. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but Arch Manning, which is an interesting example, Arch Manning, I believe, is making more money this year, not including endorsements. So don't don't go there. But uh, Arch Manning is making more money than Brock Purdy is. Uh, that that's that. I believe that's absolutely true. Yes, which, um, and which that's, is amazing. That's, yeah, it is, and that, again, that's what I'm talking about. Dave, this argument for let's be employees is not the positive universally that the athletes are being led to believe. I, I believe that this is a hard time for schools because of the uncertainty, but it also is a good time for other schools because they can change things quickly and not be bad next year if right. they get the right players. So it's it's both a hard it's it's a hard time for coaches because it's um, because of that you have to work more. Uh, and football coaches have always had it better than basketball coaches because their recruiting calendars are so different. But, again, what I said in the column that I wrote Monday about the Boston College coach who went to who went to Green Bay uh, as a defensive coordinator, and there was a lot of uh, hand-wringing among the college football people about, well, gosh, if they're leaving for this, how bad is our situation? And it's like, first of all, it's Boston College. Uh, they've won ten games four times, ten or more games four times in their history. Uh, and second of all, uh, it, it is it is a it's a more difficult job now. But basically, the guy at BC was getting paid only a little bit less than Nick Saban was ten years ago when he was winning titles. The guy at BC's barely getting into the Independence Bowl or whatever, and Nick Saban's the best there's ever been, and he's winning championships and. Ten years ago, he was making five, and this guy was making like four. So, yeah, it's a harder job, but you're getting paid way more than you used to. The job, though, with the way it's currently set up, if I listen to, like, Ryan Silverfield and see his schedule, like, it's it's miserable. Oh, like, it's you're, you're talking about... You might get two weeks off a year. That's it. And you're putting in, during the season, you're putting in 70 hours. So that's for 15 weeks, let's say. And then after that, you're still putting in because of the way this, the, the recruiting um, uh, and portal 
schedules are set. You, you're you're literally working sixty hours, fifty hours a week. After that, I mean, there's it's hard. It's 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 incredibly difficult. I don't know how you have a family with it, and and uh, well, I, I I guess they will figure it out. You are right. They are compensated well. You do that for ten years. You don't have to worry about the next generation. You're all set if you're successful. Yep. So maybe that's the uh, you know the the answer to it. Let, let me tie this in, this NLRB decision in the Northeast, with the Tennessee and the Virginia lawsuits on antitrust on the Sherman Act uh, with the NCAA over NIL, because there's there's another step forward toward the these guys becoming employees. And, and the NCAA's assertion with, with the allegations against Tennessee seemed to me and we may have discussed this last week to be absurd because you're talking about breaking rules when there's no rule book. Right. Yeah, I don't. I defend the NCAA in a lot of ways because I think it's misunderstood and what it is and how it's supposed to operate. But this one doesn't make any sense to the days. They know at the NCAA that what they're alleging that Tennessee did or might have done, uh, what they're alleging is become common practice at most i can't say every because i don't know but most major uh athletic powers it's it's common practice and they don't feel they're running afoul of anything uh from a from a uh from a infraction standpoint because a everybody's doing it and b the state legislators legislatures in the various places set up laws and the ncaa said in those places where there are is no uh, state law there's basically no law at all. I mean, that they said that. In, that. That was their proclamation back in 2021 or whatever year it was this all broke, uh, 2020 or 2021. Um, so I, it doesn't make any sense to me why they feel like there's a, there's, there's a value to asserting a problem in this particular case. Because nothing that I've read about what they have, they have posited is any different than anybody else. If there was something in particular where it was like you know the coach whipped out a you know a you know a, a check and sat down, and, but that's not what they're saying happened. That's not they're just doing what everybody else is doing. So them being singled out, one it 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 shouldn't have happened, and two I think the NCAA hurt itself with that. They mm-hmm. don't need people coming after them on that. They need like they need to concentrate on what they can do effectively right now, which is, A, I mean, I don't know if they can do it successfully, because they, they can do it effectively. Lobby Congress to try to straighten out this. The problem, people yell at the NCAA for trying to get this straight, but remember, we've got like 30 different laws with NIL, and then 20 states that have none. It, it would be better if it were uniform in terms of what the law is. Now, whether that would be the law the NCAA would want, I'd say probably not. But they need some uniformity, so they can lobby for that. They can run the championships. They're better at that than anybody realizes or appreciates. And then, um, I guess, as long as they're in the eligibility business, they can go about that. Now, I don't think that I don't think that should ever been their purview, but it is now. And for the most part, they do it well because they process a just an ungodly amount of athletes. Because uh, this is not just football, basketball, women's basketball, whatever. This it's is everything. Yeah. Everything. So those are the things they should be working on. And the infractions committee should be working on when 
you know, like the academic fraud stuff, when that pops up, that's bad. It shouldn't happen. And it's still important that it doesn't happen. Um, all right, let me, let me get to some hoops because we're almost out of time. Uh, the Tigers, they squeak out a win over a team they beat by 26 three weeks earlier. You have been one of the guys that kept them in the bracketology, you and Lenardi. You had them as the 12 last week. I know your thing comes out this week. Are they still in your bracketology? Can you give us that? Yeah, it comes out in... It'll come out within the hour, and the answer is no. Mm. Um, I, the, the the struggle uh, to defeat Wichita State with other teams, like Cincinnati, the victory they had over the weekend uh, pushed them into the field. Uh, that was that was an important change uh, to to their circumstance. Virginia's success of late, I think they're up to six consecutive wins, and that's got to be really frustrating for Tigers and Tigers fans, and for the Tigers. Maybe that should be impetus for them. We beat that team by 100. I mean, it, it could have been 100 if they wanted it to be 100. And now they're off on a roll, and they're, they're back in the bracket, and Memphis is doing what it's doing. So well, how do you fix that? Well, go back to being the team that beat Virginia by 100, and you'll get back into this deal. Uh, and that's, that's what they got to do, starting in Philly on Thursday. I mean, that's, the, that's the bottom line. You just got to keep winning. I, I figure, really, to be an at-large, it almost looks like they got to be 8-1. and one. Seven and two at the worst. Maybe they give them a loss at uh, North Texas or SMU to go one with FAU. But I, I, I think it's pretty much almost eight and one in order to uh, to, to get back into the at large picture. We'll see. Uh, that that is for sure. I, I noticed Kansas loses again last night, and I, I am so interested in Kansas because they have five great players. And what it's been a couple of games this year where they got two points from their bench. Yeah, I, I, I'm just curious if, because I heard one somebody speculate about this that that Bill spent so much money on NIL on the starters <laughs> that um, he neglected that with with the bench. That's it, not really it, what, I, I, what. What do you think really happened there? How is a guy like Bill Self? All, the, the national titles always has been as, as far as I can remember eight to nine deep. How's he only five deep? Yeah, it, it, well, first of all, you have to remember, Dave, until uh, uh, Furphy started making shots and, and playing better, yeah. they were four deep. Right. Uh, and now he's playing very effectively on offense, uh, but El Marco Jackson was supposed to be somebody. He was a, I think he was a five-star guy, uh, but it's not there yet. It, he, he's just not been able to make the transition. Parker Brown, uh, Christian Brown's brother, uh, they thought that he could be a minutes guy. I'm not a big bench scoring guy. If I've got those five guys, I'm not worried about bench scoring. But I, I believe in bench minutes as a as a factor. You, you, can you trust your bench to come in, get rebounds, go on the floor for loose balls? Can you know to facilitate the offense to be someone that that the op, opposition has to guard? Uh, those things not lose leads. With. Yeah, I mean you can accomplish those things without bench scoring, but you have to have bench minutes and. Last night, they played the final five minutes in overtime without Bill even looking at the bench. Those guys were not coming out, and it started to wear on them as they went down the stretch. Uh, the, the, the boatload of minutes that they played, I think that, that hurts them in a lot of games, uh, and I think it'll hurt them as it'll hurt them some in the NCAAs. They get a little bit more rest 
within games right. than you do in, in because of the timeouts and such, the extra commercials. Uh, so that might help them, but they, they, I don't know. I mean, they're, we're now 75% through the season, and they're happy that they got a fifth guy. The sixth guy might never arrive. Crazy. Uh, as always, my friend, we appreciate it so much. We will talk more games and brackets and everything else, hopefully not legality, next <laughs> week. <laughs> you bet. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. That is our Hall of Famer, Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News, brought to you by Memphis Tourism and the Memphis Sports Council. Millions visit Memphis each year, drawn here by music and food. But did you know it's a global destination for sporting events? The FedEx St. Jude Golf Championship, the Southern Heritage Classic, the new Ironman 70.3 Triathlon. To all the amateur sports, we're going to honor those guys later in the program. Hundreds of thousands are drawn to our city each year. And all that new stuff on Tiger Lane with the event and sports center, it's great stuff. And it brings so much money into our community. It helps flame the fan, the fan the flames of economic development in both Memphis and Shelby County. We're so proud to have them be a sponsor with us. Memphis Tourism and the Memphis Sport Council. You know our title sponsor? That's easy. That's Genesis. Genesis of Olive Branch right there at the corner of Craft Road and Highway 78, which is Lamar. First exit in Mississippi. Turn left. Go see Chris True and the gang. Or really, go see Vinny. Vinny Gerard. The Canadian, crazy Canadian, loves hockey, loves Genesis cars. He's over the Genesis department, and he's got incentives on the GV70 and the GV80. Those are the two SUVs, the 70, the smaller one, the 80, the bigger, roomier, both have an incredible luxury ride. You don't usually get that with SUVs. You do with the Genesis SUVs. And it's got all the latest technology, all the bells and the whistles, every new toy known to vehicles. They got it. In those GV70s and GV80s, and all you got to do is go see Vinny at Genesis of Olive Branch. We pause for a second. When we come back, the Super Bowl with Jeff Moore. He's right around the corner. Start your day with Sports 56 Mornings with Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Weekday mornings from 7 to 10, right here on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Wallow and Friends on Sports 56. Presented by Genesis of Olive Branch. Here once again is the voice of the Tigers, Dave Woloshin. All right, six days to kick off. Woo! Can't wait. Super Bowl. 58, Niners are one-and-a-half-point favorites against Kansas City. The uh, Niners were 12-5 and five during the regular season, and the Chiefs were 11-6. and six. It's, a, it's almost a pick em spread. The game is in Vegas. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's closer or further, because I don't know if any fans can afford to go, and the cheapest price is six grand. Um Match this up for me. Should San Francisco be the favorite in this game? I'm not sure why they would be the favorite. Um, I mean, I understand that the betters use a different metric than me looking at it from a sports fan's perspective. But 
to me, with Kansas City experience, their experience in playing in big games like this, that certainly gives them an edge. And and with that quarterback they've got, that would give them an edge for me. Uh, but you have to give the, the 49ers have nine guys that made the Pro Bowl. They've got more, I mean, in terms of just overall talent. They definitely have more talented players that have played well this year. But they haven't played well in the playoffs to me. I mean, they played well enough to win. But in both the games that they played, they had of the other the opponent had a good chance to win the games. Um, so I'm not sure why they're the favorite, but I I think they're going to have their hands full trying to beat Kansas City. Let Let me give you why I think they're favorites. Because let's face it, Kansas City has been in the Super Bowl three of the last four years four of the last six. So that is an incredible run for Patrick Mahomes. He's the youngest Super Bowl. He'll be 28, uh, youngest quarterback at 28 to be in four Super Bowls. Um, And he's chasing Brady, who's got seven titles, and he's got two. This would be three, so he's got a long way to go. But San Francisco actually produces more offense, and it's considerable. It's seven points a game and 47 yards a game more. So that is a big plus. Everybody thinks Kansas City's defense is not so good and that Sam and, and, and San Fran's is excellent. Mm-hmm. The truth is Kansas City actually yields less points and yards. Not much. Two-tenths of a point. <laughs> and they're both in the 17s, low 17s. Yeah. So that's pretty equal. And 12 yards. Pretty equal, but a slight edge to KC. Nobody realizes San Francisco's, oh, with Brock Purdy, is literally more potent a touchdown a game. Yeah, I mean, and I think the the thing that's not factored into the equation is how much more productive Kansas City's offense would be if they didn't drop so many passes <laughs> during the season. I mean, it, it wouldn't even be close. I mean, they they led the league and dropped passes, and and they appear to have gotten that problem f- fixed. So those statistics could be a little misleading. What I look at is how they played so far in the playoffs. And in both games that San Francisco has played, they've have to come, they've had to come from behind. They've given up a lot of rushing yardage, and I think this game is going to be established in the trenches. You know, Kansas City's been committed to running it. San Francisco's their strength is getting McCaffrey off running and throwing to him. And um, when I look at both of these defensive lines, um, you know, Kansas City was able to stop the best rushing offense in the league in in Baltimore. So I think Kansas City's playing better, uh, and I like the experience that Kansas City brings to the game, uh, and I think they've just uh, I I think that they've got the edge as far as quarterbacking. Purdy, obviously, Mister Irrelevant has been amazing, and in starts his record is startling. He, he, he's got McCaffrey, but don't forget Debo and Kittle, and who's the other guy? Uke. Uh, the other Brandon receiver. Brandon Ayuk, yes. He, he, you know, you're talking about a lot of weapons there. He's very there. productive, 96 receptions this uh, year. I mean, sheesh. Uh, when you think about Mahomes, you think about Kelsey. He's got Pacheco. He can run the football yeah. uh, a, a, a little bit. I do think San Francisco's got more offensive weapons, though. They do have more weapons, uh, but again, their defense is not played as well as Kansas City. And Kansas City has sufficient weapons. When you go on the road and you beat Buffalo as hot as Buffalo was, and you go on the road and you beat Baltimore. Oh, that's incredible. I mean, th- that's that's playing heady football, uh, playoff football. 
And San Francisco, to me, just hasn't played as well. They do have the weapons. They have beat teams by an average higher. Uh, but, you know, I think the key for San Francisco having a chance is they, they can't play from behind against Kansas City. They've got to get a lead. And I think if they can get a lead and keep the ball out of um, Mahomes' hands, they've got a chance. Although... San Francisco showed it come back, could come back. They were down 17 in that game with Detroit, although Dan Campbell made some very questionable decisions. Yeah, yeah, but the fact that they got down 17, uh, and, and they got down against Green Bay, uh, and, and I believe that the Kansas City defense, Spagnola, is going to put pressure on Brock Purdy and make him make plays if they get behind and, and make him get the ball out of his hands. So it's going to be interesting. And then the chess match between these two coaches, Andy Reid and then Kyle Shanahan. I mean, that's going to be fascinating. Both of them offensive-minded guys uh, that I'm sure are going to dial up some very interesting offensive plays for this game. As good as Shanahan is, and I think he's really good, if you're going <laughs> to ask me which guy I'm hiring, I'm hiring Andy Reid. Come on. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but, you, I mean, you have to give – Kyle Shanahan, a lot of credit. He's a great coach. He's gotten his team to the Super Bowl twice in four years. Um, and as a head coach, a young head coach, that's a pretty impressive record. Why Why uh, is is Kansas City so much better? Forget the drop passes, which I think were a big part of it. Yeah. Where else have they improved? I think primarily they've just improved in getting offensively on the same page. You know, they just were struggling earlier. Kelsey wasn't being productive. Uh, and and, and the, the, the missed passes were a big deal. I mean, they lost a couple of games because of missed cues by their receivers, either drop passes or we had the guy that jumped offside or were lined up offsides in a game where they should have beat Baltimore. So, you, I mean, Buffalo. Um, so they've corrected their mistakes. Uh, they've gotten a lot of production out of Rashi Rice. He's ended up breaking a record for them as a receiver in, in right. terms of uh, yards and touchdowns for a rookie. Um, and that's the kid from SMU. Yeah, Tigers so, I mean, faced him. They offensively has jailed at the right time. And their defense, I think, has just kind of flown under the radar. But I they're agree. playing extremely well. No one would say, if you asked them, if they didn't look at the numbers, that Kansas City is a slightly better defense. Yeah. They would all say San Francisco. Right. For sure. All right. So, sort of break down the way you think this game is going to go, how it's going to go. So I think it's going to just start in the trenches. I think San Francisco is going to try to establish the run. And I think Kansas City is going to start to to try to establish the run. In this game, we've got the two best tight ends, I think, in the the NFL. (laughs) So that's going to be fascinating to see how these teams use their tight ends. And then, of course, um, the the Kansas City ability to throw the ball down the field, I think, is going to be critical. They've got to put pressure on this 49ers secondary, and I think they can. Um, so, I, again, how well these defensive lines play early, I think, is going to make a big difference in how this game goes. All right. What's well, obviously you think Kansas City's going to win? By the way, you've been talking. Give me your final score. What do you think happens here? I, I mean, I like a game that's that's more like 30 to 27. You know, I don't think either one of these teams teams are going to be able to stop their the other team's offense totally. But I think Kansas City will be able to slow 49ers down a little bit more than the other way. 30-27 would be an incredible game <laughs> if that's the way it ended up. So you were a player with the Rams. 
gambling was illegal then, but I, I, I will tell you what's going on. Yeah. But what do you think of when you hear? Did you, do you, do you know what the estimation is for the amount that will be legally gambled on the Super Bowl this year? I think I read a number like $33 billion. No, it's $23.1 billion. That's a lot. $23.1 billion. Where's Where does this money come from? Wow. I mean, they make it so easy for people to bet who want to bet. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that that's a fascinating aspect of the game, too, of the affair. Um, and, of course, you know, the TV coverage, the um, – it, the, and the other factor, too, I think that's going to be relevant in this game is Kansas City's experience in playing on this kind of a stage. San Francisco does not have a lot of players that have had this kind of experience, and it's different. It's a different type of pressure, and we'll have to see how Brock Purdy can play under those lights. It's going to be a lot of fun. Explain Last thing, real quick. I don't get this. The NFL is not going to have a team in South America, in Brazil. Why in the world are the Eagles opening up the season on a Friday night in Brazil? <laughs> well, I guess they're just doing some experimentation as far as marketing is concerned. I, I got to believe it'll be a packed house because uh, you rarely see NFL football in that part of the world. I wonder if that's for TV rights and, and souvenirs. I, I just God, there's, there's a reason that they're doing this. Like Mexico City... You could have a team in Mexico City. Right. Logistically and everything else, you could have one. Yeah. I, I don't see it in Brazil. That I, just crazy. Thank <laughs> you so much. We appreciate it. You got the the Chiefs in a close game but a high-scoring game. Love it. I really, yeah. really do. We'll talk about it. Final time for the year. You know you're on a lifetime contract. Yes. But final time until August uh, will be it. next Tuesday. That is our man. That is Jeff Moore. He's brought to you by Ken Garland. Ken Garland, custom home builders. Ken, his dad, they've been in this market building dream homes, palaces for over 70 years. You can't get more stable you can't get more reliable. You can't get more innovative than Ken Garland, custom home builder. See what I'm talking about. Go to KenGarland.com and then make the call, 751-1632. If you need land, he's got it. You're not sure how to utilize land maybe you've had in your family. He can do it. Absolutely. And if you want to stay in the same lot, but you want the modern amenities, he does renovation with innovation. Again, that number, 751-1632, Ken Garland Custom Home Builders. We will, oh, I can't wait for this. It's our annual trek to Pleasant View, where tomorrow we will be live from Dinstall's. It starts with Greg and Eli at 7 I'll be there. Johnny Radio will be there. Even Sports Time with Bryant and Stats, they will be there from 3 to 6. There are all kinds of great, fantastic uh, discounts, 14% discount, if you go into the shop on that day. All of their locations, actually. Uh, and uh, then there will be a drawing at the end for something really good that Eli, I'm sure, has figured out. It's going to be a fun day. You get a discount. There will be treats. There will be samples. If you've never been to where they make the candy on Pleasant View, you got all day tomorrow to check it out. We're back in a minute. We're going to check out the Memphis Amateur Sports Hall of Fame's newest class. Twelve people will in be inducted uh, on the 18th of March. Lynn Alford, who is the guy that runs this thing, he comes your way in just a minute.
We are Real Sports Talk. Sports 56 WHBQ. Available on your radio dial at 560 AM and 98.5 FM as well as around the world online at sports56whbq.com. Take us with you everywhere by downloading the Sports 56 app. And at home, just say, Alexa, play Sports 56. Wherever you are, stay tuned in to Real Sports Talk. Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Wolo and Friends on Sports 56. Presented by Genesis of Olive Branch. Here once again is the voice of the Tigers, Dave Woloshin. Market Town, March 18th. Memphis Amateur Sports Hall of Fame with 12 new members. I think it's eight or nine different categories. Lynn Alford is the guy that runs this organization and and it's we've really only got two halls we just started with the memphis sports hall of fame lynn alford is on that board um and and then this one that has been around i'm not even sure how long lynn alford help me out when did the memphis amateur sports hall of fame begin what's the mission good morning hey good morning wallow thanks for having me on buddy uh we've been around for 54 years this is our 54th um Banquet, wow. induction banquet coming up. It's hard to believe, 54 years. Uh, and it's March 18th. It is at the Round Hilton, correct? Uh, that's correct. Uh, March 18th at the Hilton. It'll be in the ballroom uh, at the Hilton. Uh, we've been having it there for the last uh, 10 years or so. They, they uh, provide a very very good uh, outlet for us there. And, and um, explain how it began and what, what uh, you, like your mission is. What What's... What what's the, uh, the the purpose to recognize these folks? Well, originally, fifty four years ago, our organization began as the Memphis Park Commission Hall of Fame. And those of your listeners who've been around a long time uh, know how big uh, athletics was, and so many thousands of people participating in the Park Commission uh, sports back then. Uh, and then eventually, the, the Park Commission was dissolved, or at least that portion of it. And we continued our organization as the Memphis Amateur Sports Hall of Fame and then began picking up other sports that were outside of the realm of the, of the Park Commission. But our goal is to honor, what we try to do is honor those uh, athletes that have come through um, Memphis. They have to, to be qualified, they have to live here or grew up here or cut their teeth, so to speak, on our Little League fields, our uh, our, our basketball courts, community centers, uh, local golf courses, uh, regardless of how uh, how good they may have become either in high school or even in college. And in some cases, we have some professional athletes qualified. They had to have come through our system here in Memphis in order to, to qualify. And we try to stick to the amateur status as closely as we as we possibly can. Uh, and, and you've had guys like I, – I give a great example – was my friend Andy Roberts because he was a great amateur racquetball player right. for the mm-hmm. University of Memphis then became number one in the world as a pro. And, and the thing is, so many people in Memphis probably have not heard of a lot of the uh, athletes that, that end up being members or, or qualify for our organization. There are so many unbelievable stories out there as we get the data, we get the information in on these nominees before they're selected. 
there, there's just tremendous stories, and the, and the, the and we're kind of a a, a a gem that a lot of people really uh, you know have not heard of. But uh, it's and then at the night of the banquet, uh, we do kind of expand on some of these, as you know, Lolo. Yeah. <laughs> we expand on some of these uh, great stories when when they're when they are presented with their awards. Yeah, I've had the honor of of reading the um, the bios, the stories of these people. It's well written by your sister, and uh, it does tell their stories. And these people are really moved, and they have people that. It's a great, great evening. If you've never been a part of it, if you know any of these athletes we're about to talk about, then I urge you. How do you get a hold of you, Lynn, to get these tickets? Here's the thing: uh, we're, we're running a, a kind of a deadline. Our, our banquet is on until March 18th, but the deadline, as far as uh, obtaining tickets, uh, is February the 17th. Which is, so what's coming up on us pretty quick. The quickest, the easiest way would be if anyone's interested uh, to uh, let me give you the website. Uh, well, uh, the website www.memphissportshalloffame.org. That's spelled out: Memphis Sports Hall of Fame. Org, and a telephone number, 901-481-3670. And I can give another number if I can, 901-389-8990. We'll be glad to, to give out all the information we can. But it's important if anyone is uh, wants to attend that they uh, need to go through our website uh, in order to get the ticket request and, and have the money sent in in time. Eight categories this year, baseball, basketball, boxing, an official. I really love That's Michael Smith, who I remember starting in the Bluff City Classic and has now done, I don't know, thousands of NBA games, including playoffs. You got outdoors. You got personal contributor. You got swimming. You got a youth team coach. Where do you want to start? Well, I can just throw out a few names. I know we don't have time to cover all, but you mentioned uh, uh, Michael Smith. Uh, gosh, I can remember when he was officiating back in the back in the uh, '70s, and a lot of people don't know he is the—I won't say the oldest, but he has the longest tenure of any of the NBA uh, officials now. Really? And he started out—he started out in uh, junior high <laughs> here in Memphis. He went to high school here, and he knew that he wanted to become an official. And look where he is now. Yeah, that that is a great story. Who you got in baseball? Uh, baseball, we ended up with three, which is unusual. We usually don't really have that many in any one category, but there are all so many good ones, it was hard to narrow it down, I guess. But Andy Cook, um, Andy oh, yeah. Cook, of course, played at Memphis and ended up playing professionally and came up through the Tigers organization back with, as a, I think he started like when he was age nine in the Tiger organization. Same thing with Jay Hood. Jay also came up through the Memphis Tigers uh, organization. He, he played at Georgia Tech, uh, but he came up through through Memphis um, Bill Gifford uh, was drafted out of high school, but he went to Whitehaven. He started his little league ball. I think he said when he was seven, eight, or nine, and 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 Whitehaven, and, and uh, was all Memphis out of Whitehaven. And he was drafted out of. And he ended up playing in the Bill Spiros, uh, played for Gagliano for several years in the uh, Bill Spiros uh, organization, in American Legion. Um, and then under basketball, I think everybody knows Ken Ken Moody. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I see. Well, uh, interesting. We started several years ago. We talked to, to Penny, and we talked to, uh, uh, about you know who should we nominate. And he said not him, or, or not you know people. That he said find the people that have given back to Memphis, and we and, and he uh, recommended Andre Turner. So Andre Turner, uh, Dwight Boyd a few years ago, Hank McDowell last year, uh, Kenneth Moody, Ken Moody. Look at all these guys. They have not only been good basketball players that, that that started here in Memphis and grew up here in Memphis, but they came back and they contributed to our community in a, in a wide variety of ways who uh who who's who's the youth coach guy getting put in because that's to me that's so uh, important 
Uh, Harold, Harold Cagle. I mean, uh, uh, it's um, he coached, I think, over 30-something years at Germantown. But uh, uh, yeah, that's Harold, Harold Cagle. Oh, was the uh, he was a high school high school coach. Um, the uh, the other oh the other basketball was uh, uh, Anthony Ampey Johnson, All American at, at uh, junior college here. But he he uh, of course he grew up here and he started. And, but but he also was uh, All American. He played at Lemoyne Owen. It was All American baseball and basketball. Wow! And and, and the, <laughs> a lot of people have never heard of him, but he's got a fantastic story. Uh, got a swimmer, Jan Miller. Jan, uh, back when there was no women's sports back then, but back in the '60s, she went to White Station, and she has all kinds of awards that she won. And she, you know, there was no girls' sports, and she had to compete with the boys or, or even travel with them to go to. There was no state tournaments or anything for girls back then. But the, the, her accomplishments were, were amazing. And uh, when you look at all the things that she did back back in the mm. '60s, when, when there really there were no girls' uh, women's sports back then. Can't wait to meet them all. That's March the 18th. Get your tickets now. The deadline is the February the 17th, so it is fast approaching. Go to MemphisSportsHallOfFame.org, all one word. MemphisSportsHallOfFame.org, easy, or I'm going to give you the easier number, 901-389-8990. Lynn, thank you. Looking forward to the event on March the 18th. Thanks for your time, Will. I appreciate it. You got it. That's Lynn Alford from the Memphis Amateur Sports Hall of Fame, their 54th class, coming in on March the 18th. This portion of the show brought to you by Southern Security. And Dawn Grader keeps getting this thing bigger and better. 70 years. Man, we got so many. 70 years. That's... How long Southern Security has been helping people with their banking needs in this town? It's your home team credit union. Home team for sure. They're big supporters of the Tigers. And if you are a business owner, they're perfect for you. If you're in need of an auto loan, I suggest Southern Security. If you want better benefits with your credit card, you know it's Southern Security. They'll handle all of your business banking needs with the best rates. Auto loans, low rates, and better benefits on the credit card, and a whole lot more. And it's so easy to learn more because they'll talk to you on the phone. Call 901-452-7900. You can go to their website, southernsecurity.org. I'd call. It's easy to become a member. So many benefits. They do take care of you at Southern Security for 70 years. Your home team credit union. That'll do it for us. We will see you tomorrow at Dinstall's. It's going to be a great day on Pleasant View. Johnny Radio, he's right around the corner. Have a great day, everybody.